you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with some of the most passionate, hardworking, and limitless thinkers on this earth who have a story to share, a brand that inspires, or a fire inside of them to live life on their own terms. The intention behind each episode is simple, and that's to include you in these conversations so that you can learn, apply, and grow in your own life and in your business. If I can share one quick secret with you before we begin, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. Tuning into Visionary Life will help you dust off the limiting beliefs you carry around so that you can begin to create your own most visionary life. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Today on the Visionary Life podcast, I am sitting down with Laura Lee Sheehan, the founder of Digital 55, which is a collective of award-winning designers, developers, researchers, and content strategists working together to create unique, innovative digital interactive products and learning experiences. Laura Lee is a design thinker, a digital addict, but above all, an artist. With years of experience working in the creative and digital product development sector, Laura Lee is a trailblazer in the digital space, pushing forward how creative and tech intersect. She has led teams on various award-winning projects, and her background is super unique. She previously had owned an indie record label and a product line. Proving to all of us, once again, that it's never too late to pivot, it's always okay to make changes, even if that means changing industries. One thing that I noticed that Laura humbly did not have in her bio is that she's an entrepreneur and a savvy one at that. More on Laura Lee in a moment, but first, let's share a quick update. So today is family day if you're in Ontario and in many other provinces across Canada. And I actually just got back from spending the weekend recharging at a cottage up north with my husband and our dog. It was our 11-year anniversary of knowing each other. So that's kind of a big deal, right? I know people say you should only celebrate your wedding anniversary from the time you get married. But I still think that meeting Dave was more important than marrying him. So we have hiked, we walked in the snow, we had fires, and it just felt so good to recharge the batteries, go slightly offline, and to be in nature and to enjoy winter. The longer that I have been on this entrepreneurial journey, the more quiet time I feel like I need after a hard work week. And truly, thinking time is my favorite time. So having a weekend with two full days that were unscheduled really helped me to just zoom back and gain clarity for moving forward. And speaking of having that thinking time and that time to just recharge, 
A few months ago, I may have shared this on the podcast, but what was coming up in my thinking time was that I needed to root into a community of entrepreneurs or of people who understood my next challenges as a business owner looking to scale something up beyond myself. And I may have mentioned that I invested in a business mastermind, and it's really to help people who are in the range of making six figures to scale up a company to something greater, something bigger, into that seven-figure range. And these are just trivial numbers, but it's for people who have a good thing going on, but they need help growing that vision. And I'm almost two months into this mastermind and this coaching, and I can really confidently tell you it has been one of the best investments I've made in a long, long, long time, be it a lot of money, an amazing investment at that. And rooting into this community of people, there are a lot of people I've been connected with already through the mastermind, has been so inspiring and it's been supportive and it's really reaffirmed my own belief in coaching and in connecting with like-minded humans. And I was chatting with a potential client, someone who booked a discovery call through my website. I was chatting with her this morning and she wants to start a freelance social media business, which is something I did a few years ago as well. So I knew I could help her. And she said, you know, it's funny because everyone who I've talked to recently about starting a business has given me one piece of advice. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's that piece of advice? And she said, they all said to hire a coach. And I couldn't agree more because even though I've been on this journey for four years, hiring a coach has been absolutely vital every step of the way from me. And one cool story that I just want to share before we get back to Laura Lee's episode, on Friday of last week, my business coach, the leader of this mastermind, he invited me to something at his place called Superhero Coffee. And it's a bunch of entrepreneurs getting together on a Friday to have coffee and to talk. But I didn't really know much more beyond that. And so I showed up in his home and there were about 15 other incredible humans They were entrepreneurs of all types. There was gym owners, actors, accountants, lawyers, treatment center owners, tutors, a couple of coaches as well, a sexologist. (laughs) Um, And I really didn't know anyone in the room, to be honest. Um, But I got chatting with a few people and we, after about half an hour of just mingling, sat down around a beautiful round table and everyone had a chance to just go say what they do and open up to the group and let them know a little bit about who you are. And it was so magical to see that in the following 90 minutes, as we all went around and introduced ourselves, We were all 90 minutes later hugging and crying and there were beautiful moments of connection to be had. And this is just the power reiterated once more in getting into a tribe of like-minded people, getting around people who you can relate to, putting your phone away for two hours and just sipping a good coffee, having some fruit or some snacks and just listening. Most of this was listening and it was absolutely amazing. And one of these moments that happened around the table was super personal to me, but um, I met someone who I dub a real life superhero who actually, they didn't know it, 
But upon chatting and listening, I realized this person sitting at the table had helped me through a really hard time. And as she started talking about her business and what she did, I realized that she was that superhero that about a year and a half ago, she would be on the other end of the line talking to me. And oh my gosh, you guys, it it was magical. Uh, the room was quiet and everybody was pretty much crying. <laughs> uh, but the point is that getting out there, trying new things, investing in yourself, you are worth it. Go meet new people, take action, try that business idea, find people who get you. It is the most meaningful thing. And that's one thing that this mastermind has done for me. All right, back to my episode with Laura Lee of Digital 55. This company is killing it right now, and I love the story of how Digital 55 came to be. And it grew into something so much greater than just Laura Lee herself. If you're a business owner wondering how to scale your business into more of a collective of sorts, you're going to love this episode. We also chat about some of the very first things she did to set up Digital 55, why she considers herself a maker and a leader. She shares the exciting milestones Digital 55 has hit, her vision for growth, the creative and messy middle of this all, and how she stays organized with so many moving parts happening with Digital 55. You can learn more and connect with them at www.digital55studios.com. Go there. Please say the Visionary Life Podcast sent you. And you can also find her on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn under Digital 55 Studios. Quick one more thing. This episode is brought to you by my favorite health food store on this planet, Healthy Planet. With the best prices, the largest selection, and brands you won't find anywhere else, Healthy Planet is a shopping experience that I can truly stand behind. A few clicks and I have a box of my favorite goodies dropped on my doorstep and they're all healthy, all natural. Or I can head to one of Healthy Planet's 28 Ontario-based stores and they're growing. Luckily, I have one down the road from me, so there's no excuses. The best part of this all is that if you use code VISIONARY10, so VISIONARY10 at checkout, you can save 10% on any online order over $49. Enjoy. Have you ever considered taking the knowledge and skill sets that you already have and turning them into a profitable business or a side hustle? That's exactly what I've done to build my brand and now I help others do the same. The program that I run three times yearly is called The Visionary Method and it's modern online business coaching program paired with live coaching inside of a community of like-minded people. It's kind of like a yoga teacher training or a bartending school, except I'm teaching you how to build a profitable online business. The next round starts February 10th and spots are very limited. So head to kelseyridle.com slash visionary method for more information. So today I'm sitting down with Laura Lee Sheehan. Did I say that right? Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Awesome. Um, And we were connected by a mutual friend of ours, Kyla. And it's always so amazing to me that there are people who live down the road from where I do who are doing such amazing creative things. And I'm really excited to dive into your story and your journey. So thanks for being here, Laura Lee. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about everything as well. So pumped. 
So why don't we just dive into a quick few questions just to get us warmed up here and we'll just do a little rapid fire. Sound good? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) Okay. Do you remember what your very first job was? I do. I had my first job when I was about 14 and uh, I was an extra on a TV show because my dad works in film. So I kind of grew up as a film baby. And was it a popular TV show? Do you know that show Ready or Not? Of course. It was that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like I watched that religiously as a kid. Yeah. That <laughs> and that was... was filmed in Toronto? Yeah. Very cool. What about what was your first career path? Like that job that you were like, wow, I got that big girl job. I don't know if it was a big girl job, but for me, it was, it was my dream. So I ended up uh, working in music as sort of my first career and like a very defining um, career point for me. So I had a, I got a job at HMV and I was kind of living that record store dream where I'm like, oh, working in a record store. Oh, this is going to be so amazing. And, it, you know, it had its, its ups and downs in terms of the record industry was changing. So it wasn't as cool as, you know, um, Empire Records or whatever <laughs> in the movies. Um, but that was my first sort of career job where I did work in music for about 10 years from that point forward. Um, but I did feel when I had that job, even though it was like an entry level, like I was a cashier and just like stocking the shelves, that felt like a career moment for me. Yeah, very cool. And were you at HMV when it like kind of crumbled? Because I don't yeah. think it's around anymore. Right? <laughs> I don't think so. I can't. I, I stopped like paying attention because I'm like, oh, it's just dying. But I did. I was working there when things were going sideways in terms of, you know, iTunes was just starting and all the digital stuff was just starting and. Mm. Um, you could see that the model was starting to not work anymore in terms of they were not iterating as quickly for digital and for that mm-hmm. more sort of like um, download space. And so, yeah, I was there for that. Interesting. <laughs> I feel like we could probably do an interesting, well, not me personally, but there's probably <laughs> someone who can do a case study on like what they did wrong and why it didn't end up working out. <laughs> 100%. I had all these ideas that I, I think I wrote it down on like a document at some point. I'm like, they need to do this and they need to do that. And I was like 21, but I I thought I could figure out that company. But I, I, I like that as a case study. It's interesting to know, like, they could have made some changes and, you know, iterated with the industry. And I think it could have been a much different outcome. So yeah, that could actually be interesting. If only they had <laughs> asked for your opinion. Right? <laughs> That's what I think. So take us back. You used to own an indie record label. So could you kind of like transport us to that time in your life? What was going on? How did you get into this? Um, I'd love to paint a picture for the listeners. Yeah, that indie label actually became so important for my career and just me as a person. So I was in a band and we were playing. um, I was in a band for about 10 years and we were, I guess, like, semi-famous in Toronto (laughs) and we had some records courting us and stuff so it was becoming a big deal and we had uh, started our own label to sort of uh, release music and then start to curate other music it was we didn't spend as much time on the record label part as we probably should have because we were um I always tell people oh they ask me how my digital career started and I say oh I wanted to be a rock star and that's what I was really planning or like that's what I was attempting to do um but we were just trying to make music and do it on our own terms and because what we were just talking about, about the industry changing so rapidly, there was all this sort of music coming out and people being able to create and deploy music so quickly. And so we were kind of working in that model and trying to um, do the arts and crafts thing, I guess, but we never, we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I think we only ever signed like one other band, but Hey, that's still an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big deal. Um, but it was such a defining thing for me as like thinking about, um, you know, what you're doing, being able to, 
um, house what you're doing in, in a space that you can make really strategic decisions. And um, knowing that that is important for if, even if you're in a creative space, knowing that um, having the record label was very empowering to say, like, we get to choose like what we're putting out, what those what the art album is, what the tone of the albums are, what we're writing, what we're talking about, um, even the brand, like the whole brand of the band. It just felt good to be able to say, like, we just get to do this because we don't need to listen to other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and was this your vision to start the record label or was it one of your bandmates? Like, whose idea was it? It was a bit of a collab. So my old bandmate had sort of started a record label, I guess, but he didn't. Um, he just had a name. So we ended up teaming up and actually starting a label where we were starting to do stuff that was like label-esque. Um, mm-hmm. So it was definitely... I think I was sort of that strategy person that could bring that in. Um, and then I think Ryan just uh, wanted to do it as well. So it was a good sort of impetus forward to say, like, let's start a record label within. Like, because we have the band, now let's start a record label and let's sort of do our band stuff through this label and then look at expanding into, like, with other bands and um, wanting to be you know, creative curators or whatever. Yeah, I think that's really cool to hear that you were able to make it happen. And sure, it's yeah. not, like, your, your future <laughs> career path, but the the sound of oh we're starting a record label it seems daunting and like that would be impossible unless you're like an a-list celebrity or you have a ton of experience but it just goes to show that where there's a will there's a way and you can start from scratch and and create something out of nothing totally and I guess one interesting thing about that I guess that I really resonated with and I, I I found this book afterwards but it really that was what we were doing with the label it's I think it was called like the $100 startup mm-hmm. and just knowing that you don't need much sometimes people think they need to have a certain amount of money in the bank or they need to have a certain amount of product or they need to have a certain idea or they need to have certain funders or they need to have a certain team before they can get started but really like sometimes all you need is a hundred dollars and you can get started you know are you referring to that book called the hundred yeah dollar startup book yeah i think it's by chris gillibo maybe yeah that's yeah yeah, i actually read that and it really resonates with me too because i think too many people and a lot of our listeners i know because they share with me they get really caught up in like trying to plan out the very first thing they do to create this business and they think it has to be like this massive launch and everything needs to be perfect totally. sometimes you just have to start with like the smallest viable thing that you yes. can do make the name connect yeah. with someone who's doing what you want to do put up a website and yeah. stop making it so complicated exactly i love what you just said about the mvp sort of the minimum viable product uh, yeah. model and also like yeah exactly like we set up a myspace at the time because that's what yeah. people were doing in bands <laughs> and record labels and like that was our first like then we had a record label you know mm-hmm. uh, we did some coding and uh, had a couple like you know annoying moments about that but really like we just started and then we kept iterating and it wasn't perfect but it's true like having those fun like having those pieces like we just started and then we were a record label Mm -hmm. now i'm always really fascinated with business owners like yourself the journeys that we've been on because oftentimes it's not linear right like you didn't start digital 55 like the day you came out of the womb it's just not (laughs) how it works um and so obviously you spent a lot of time with your band and building the record label. I'm wondering, looking back on that, can you see any key skills or lessons that you learned that you're now applying? Totally. Um, I think one of the things that I didn't realize was happening um, in the band, like obviously creative, like just creative output is really important for um, Digital 55. And that really comes from um, that freedom of being able to create things. And so like music was one of them and being able to work in that space really easily and know what that looks like. That's been super helpful. But I guess 
I also didn't realize that we were doing experience design with the band, and that became a pinnacle um, foundational piece for what Digital 55 does. And it looks a bit different, but it's the same sort of mindset or approach that you're using to create an experience for people. And um, so we did a lot of like film work and we did a lot of experience design where we would do like these live sets um, with like video that would change when uh, Ryan played the kick drum and stuff like that. And then, you know, at the time I thought, oh, we're just like, again, that rock star thing. We're like, oh, we just want to be rock stars. But we were really doing experience design when it comes to it. So that was one of the things that I was shocked at in terms of um, sort of just that transferable nature of your experience and not forgetting about that or not undermining that to say, oh, I don't have experience in this. And then mm. all of a sudden you're discrediting yourself for all these years of experience that you do have. Um, and then also thinking about things as a business in terms of um, being able to make decisions. So, um, you know, I, I think I was just mentioning about the label being very empowering for that. And so um, that was the other sort of business thing, like being able to create and build the way that you want to and not really have to answer to people. Um, but also knowing that you need support to do that. So um, collaboration is really key, but having the power to uh, put the vision together. Um, and that does mean that you might not be able to do that in a traditional sort of organization. So um, the mindset thing was really another lesson I learned from being in having the record label and sort of running a business on that level and then being able to scale that into a whole different industry um, and at a whole different scale. Um, but those were are still key foundational pieces to how mm -hmm. I approach digital 55 yeah and i think i love that you shared both of those things because it's so important to never discount your past experience like yeah. you could say oh i was in a band but what does that have to do with what i do now yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that is such a terrible mentality i mean yeah. i i spent many years being a fitness instructor and yeah. i could have said like what a waste of time like that was such a nominal career but it taught me how to speak in front of crowds. Totally. And now when I have to get up for a speaking engagement, I realize that I pulled a lot of skills yeah. from being a fitness instructor, which again, it's like you, you don't realize that you're on this path and every job that you have is likely setting you up for the future career that you're totally. about to jump into. So I think it's always cool to hear uh, what you pulled from your past work experience. So maybe fast track then before we kind of dive into all digital 55 things and describe the business and all the good stuff that you're doing. What happened after the record label? Like, do you want to walk us through the trajectory between the record label and then starting your business? Yeah, totally. That was, um, you know, in, in life when you have... Um, like with the record label, we had been working so hard and I really had this vision of how things were going to go and they were sort of moving in that direction. But um, the outcome was different from what I had expected in terms of there was a point in time where I just had to um, step away from music for a bit. It was very, it had become draining on me emotionally and mentally and it just wasn't working anymore. Um, and I saw that as an ending at the time, but it's so funny how that wasn't really an ending. It was um, just, uh, there was another step up into something else that that was totally the foundation for and totally created um, the space for me to do that. Um, but there was a bit of an in-between period that was, you know, didn't make sense to me at the time. It's like a scene in a movie that just seems random. And then you're like, mm -hmm. now I'm like, oh, okay, no, <laughs> that period happened. But I ended up um, moving into uh, some more digital work because in the band we had been doing um, all sorts of digital stuff because, you know, MySpace and, yes. you know, Facebook was coming <laughs> up and, oh gosh, I'm dating Were myself. Were you one of those but... like MySpace celebrities? I can imagine you had like thousands of followers. Yeah, we had so many followers <laughs> and everybody, like all our friends' bands did too. And then like MySpace just died and that was so sad so because sad. all that stuff, like everybody had so many listens to their 
their music yeah. and people were so interactive and active on the MySpace sites. And then we all had to just say like, I guess, yeah, that maybe I had you as like my feature song at one point. I hope Who so. Knows? Oh my God. <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> I wish I could go back and look. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Um, so sorry. I interrupted you no, there. <laughs> sorry. Now I'm just like remembering about the MySpace days. Those I were, know. We could reminisce forever. <laughs> those, those were good times. And everybody pimped out their profiles. Oh, it was, oh, just, it was so good. I yeah. <laughs> installed like custom code onto my background. Yeah. And right. I think it was we, great. We had some ridiculous background. I know. We did, we did some stuff to her. We, like right now. Like now I'm like, oh my gosh. But. Um, uh, there, I had a point about MySpace. It wasn't just... <laughs> oh, yeah. So you had tons of fans on MySpace oh, and then the digital. transition. Yeah. Yes. So we were working... Uh, so the band had been really uh, starting to work in the digital space. And that was a new thing for, I think, a lot of musicians where it wasn't just about creating music. It was about building up a brand and building up a business and building up all sorts of assets in terms of digital assets and like putting your music up on all sorts of different platforms. Um, so it really became a super sort of digital based and like people making their own videos Um you know, uh, coding and whatever. So that was a, it was kind of weird because again, it didn't, the connection wasn't there for me. But then afterwards I realized like, oh, I did all, I have all this like, all these digital skills and these digital media skills. And I had worked in films. I had film editing skills. And um, I ended up getting a job just at a not-for-profit. And it wasn't a job that I was, it was just a job where I'm like, oh, I need a job. We had finished our second album. I was sort of thinking the band was going to part ways. um, And I had to figure out the next thing. And so the next thing seemed like a random job. It was just a job at a not-for-profit working in their uh, digital, um, like doing digital learning uh, for the company and sort of being able to build a whole product line for them from scratch. And so it was actually one of the things, like one of those jobs that ended up being really, really good for my career, even though I didn't plan to be there and I didn't, I wasn't even jazzed about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I had this manager that ended up being such a good mentor to me and she really, um, and I was able to do a couple certificates at OCAD while I was uh, in that position and then build a whole digital product line that was a... really uh, well-received and like award-winning and stuff like that. What do you mean by digital product line? So it was a digital uh, learning product line. So we had a bunch of, so I was just creating uh, digital courses um, that were modular. So some of it would be like design-based, some of it would be video-based. There was a lot of like audio. So it was sort of mixed modality uh, builds. And this manager trusted me to do this (laughs) because it was an innovation, like it was sort of one of her innovations. So it was just that perfect timing and in a random way, I just sort of like landed in this like really great space where I got to um, like build this skill set that was already foundationally there, but just sort of repackage it into like a new, um, a new thing. Um, And so that's how my digital career sort of really started taking off um, was looking at uh, digital design and digital experience design uh, from a learning and like working with a lot of learning content. Um, That was sort of the foundation of uh, my sort of career at this, like now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how long were you there for at that company? I was there for a couple of years and I was building up. So when I was at that company, I had actually started Digital 55. Okay, so you started it while you were working. Yeah. Yeah, which I I think is always a great idea, right? You've got that security of working um, and then you're kind of building your passion project or your side hustle. Yeah, yeah, I did. I started it and it was part time and it was really awful because I would bring on clients and then I would be working like in at night and in the evenings and when people want yep. to go do fun things and they're like why don't why can't you I'm like oh, nah, I have to work on this <laughs> Too thing busy. for yeah 12 hours and you know yeah. I was really exhausted and it was hard I was feeling a bit dejected because I I was so excited to start the company I started it uh, as a sole proprietorship and had a couple like I signed a client right away and that was great um but it was a really hard to manage because you are you're working during the day and um 
then you're working at night and trying to manage like your deliverables and your um, contract, um, whatever you're contracted for. Um, I couldn't bring on as many clients. Like I just, everything was moving so slowly because of the limitations of like doing it sort of in that model. Um, so that was also, it was really good for me to go through that though, to start the business. Cause I did a lot of the upfront work. Like I started a website, I got my, all my government papers and I got my business license and all that stuff. So I was able to do that without a lot of pressure. And, um, so when I went, when I moved into full-time, um, which is a little bit of a crazy story, everything was set up. So it was really, it was good to move into full-time, but I had also done some of the critical things that really helped um, just rapidly like move into that full-time model. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of pause there for a second. So you're work- working full-time, you're building Digital 55 on the side. Yeah. What were some of the very first things you did in order to bring Digital 55 to life? Yeah, I... So I got a business license yep, from important. the government um, at the time. It was just like, I can't remember. Um, it was just a sole proprietor yep. license. I started a bank account. Yeah. Um, I started a website. I didn't start any social media. Like I didn't have Facebook at the time or Instagram uh, for the business. So it was just, and the website was sort of, you know, I don't even think I explained like what we were doing. Like mm-hmm. it was like, <laughs> just like very arty, like a portfolio of like just like yeah. random stuff. And but it's contact. something, right? Yeah. It's something to show. It was something. And um it did start the business. Um, So I think those were the first critical things that I did. And then you mentioned that you signed a client right away. How did that happen? Did it come through mutual connections? Were you just like out hustling and like knocking on people's doors? How did you get that first client? So they had found me through LinkedIn and it was because I was working for that not-for-profit. I guess they had seen the product line or they had somehow they were able to... um, interact with that product uh, or one of the, the courses and they were really impressed. So they somehow ended up figuring out that I was the uh, course designer on that. Um, and so they just messaged me through LinkedIn and you know how you get those messages and you sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I don't know. But I ended up, um, we had a bit of a conversation and then it ended up being um, a project that was a fit and the specs were good. Um, although <laughs> I will say that this is one of the biggest business lessons I learned uh, through that first project is I misquoted um, like I didn't charge enough because yeah. I, it was my first client. I was just so excited to have the first client. Um, I was like, nope. And it seemed like a lot of money, but I didn't charge at least by like, I don't know. I should have charged at least double if not I think we more. all made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Everybody's been through that. But, you know, if, I don't know. I always tell people. And again, it's that thing about experience or sometimes you undersell yourself because you think, oh, it's my first client. So I'm just going to, mm-hmm. um, oh, no, this is great. But you know, you really need to evaluate what you're doing at the right price point. Yeah, it's a tough, tough conversation too when you've never done it before um, because number one, you really want that first client. So you want to come in with a reasonable price. Number two, if you've never worked for yourself before, you forget to factor in things like, oh, well, I don't get paid vacation, so I need to make a little bit more. I don't have benefits, so I need to make a little bit more. I, you know, like have expertise that I'm not valuing. So there's so much when it comes to pricing your offer. And I think it's a trial and error sometimes in the beginning. Um, And you're really just, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks when you're offering your first price. So it's always a good teachable moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so from there, you get your first client. I'm assuming at some point you got your second or third client. When did you know it was time to make the leap in terms of quitting your job and going all in with Digital 55? 
So this is a great story. <laughs> oh, yes. You said it was. Like, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a great. Well, everybody I tell, they're like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so I'm just assuming it's a great story. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually didn't uh, quit a job f- uh, to move into full time. Um, so I had, uh, after this the not-for-profit and um, moving into sort of a super uh, focused digital career, I ended up working for another company um, that was a digital learning agency. So I was running their design and dev team. Um, we were doing tons of stuff, and it was award-winning, and like everything was great. But it was a really sort of toxic environment. Um, there was a lot of problems with um, the vision, and um, there was a lot of things happening. And so some red flags started. So my team started coming to me saying something's weird, red flags, red flags, and I'm like, no, oh, it's I don't think so. And um, but then I was like, okay, you get that thing in your gut. We're like, yes, red flag, something's going on here. And then we end up uh, being told um, in 2018 that the company uh, was going bankrupt in like three weeks. <laughs> wow. So me and the des- my design and dev team were pretty much the ones I had to fold the whole company, hand off all the things to all the clients um, and just wrap up in three weeks. And then that was... I remember when they told us that the company was uh, going to go bankrupt and that none of us had jobs anymore. You know, obviously I was like, oh my gosh, my team, uh, you know, I was feeling, I was feeling for everybody because I really had taken that team under my wing. Um, And, you know, the night that I, we got that news, I I got really drunk. (laughs) As you do when you get let go. (laughs) Had a bottle of wine and sort of was like, poor me type of, you know, like, you know, getting all like emo about it. Um, but then I just really told myself the next day, I'm like, okay, you get up the next day, you put on your black dress. Um, I have this fierce black dress from South Africa that I love. So it's like very classic. And love I, it. it's sort of my power, like, I ha- yeah, it's like my power, like Steve Jobs dress, where it's just super, um, yeah, you just put it on. You're like, yep. Yeah, yeah and you feel like that your mood shifts probably. Yeah, mood shifts. Yeah. So I did that. I got up the next morning and some of my friends were like, oh, you just should call in sick because it doesn't matter. And, you know, I thought about it, but then I was like, no, I'm going to get up. And I remember telling myself you get up you show up you know you um tell all the clients what's happening um and then um but I remember thinking that day like this is the this is the day like I'm going to uh like I just knew that that day was going to be the day that was the future so I had decided that I would let clients know that I was going to be moving my company into full-time and if they wanted to talk in the future you know here's my contact info um and so every client, start, like everybody I talked to were like, okay, yep, we definitely need that contact info. Where are you going? Like all the clients were asking me where I was going. So I thought it just kept every conversation I had just kept solidifying the fact that like I needed to just move into full time and just run. Like it was time. Yes. <laughs> so because I was waiting, you know, when I was working for the digital learning agency, I, you know, I was feeling very stagnant in terms of like digital 55 was still there, but I wasn't really bringing on clients anymore. I didn't have time. I was very, very drained from this company mm-hmm. and thinking like, you know, I almost thought that maybe I wasn't going to, I was waiting for this perfect time to have enough money in the bank or to have, um, you know, a certain amount of clients. Like you're always waiting for that perfect moment. And I just got pushed off the cliff to be like, okay, it's now April 1st, mm-hmm. 2018. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So I, I took it and ran and it was actually really interesting because I know that's not um, always that scenario is not always a scenario that people, um, you know, would, would come across in terms of the clients that the relationships I had built with the clients at that agency did want to follow me. And I was able to sign contracts like on the first day of full-time wow. operations. Um, so that's, you know, that was a rare thing where it happened and I just knew I had to run with it. Cause I, I thought like, this is the seed money for the business and mm-hmm. I, there's no perfect time. It's now. Um, 
And that was the start of full-time operations for the company. I mean, those moments, I had a couple of those in my career too, like being let go from jobs. It just gave me that nudge I needed to go all in. It was like, well, I have the time. I have no excuse now. And they helped me quit. So that's great. (laughs) Um, I can imagine though, like, First of all, I think it's a huge testament that you were able to bring those clients over. Like you're yeah. obviously a good person, do great work. Um, so it's always important to show up as your best self, even in the careers that you're working, even if you don't envision being there forever. Because totally. people may get to know you and your style and your work ethic and really start to see something in you so that when you launch your own business one day, they already trusted you. They already knew you. Yeah. They they liked you. And I think that's um, such an important lesson to not burn bridges, no. which seems obvious, but yeah. a lot of people do it, right? <laughs> Yeah, or to just like you said, um, you know, when I was at that company, I didn't quite care for like the the CEO and like sort of that vision, but I did care about the clients a lot. And I really worked hard at that company, um, even though I was, you know, going through some sort of like um, existential, like, why am I here at this company? But I showed up for the work and I showed up for the clients and Mm -hmm. that paid back, you know. And so it's true, like sometimes the moments might not make as much sense, but you have to show up and do you know, be your best self and do the do the things that uh, you feel you have integrity to do. And there's some things that are uncontrollable. Like if you have a bad CEO, that's awful. Like you can't control that as much as you can control how you um, engage with the things that you need to. Um, but that that set up my business to have mm-hmm. those clients really trust me and not only just trust me, like wanting to follow me and not caring about the business going under, like they really didn't care. They're like, where are you mm-hmm. going? Because we're coming with you. And that's awesome. The work continues. Yep. So when you went all in with Digital 55 and things were ramping up, did you have trouble doing the client work and managing the business itself? Did that feel like you were wearing all the hats or did this all come naturally to you? I mean, it it did come naturally, but it was very strenuous and stressful. And I went through some really gritty moments, especially in the first couple of months. that were really hard. Like I felt like, you know, I'm a true entrepreneur now because I went through these things. I, I have the mind for it, but it was hard because you're taking on projects that are large scale. The The timelines are always aggressive. And so a lot of the times the business stuff would sort of get pushed to the side, pushed to the side. And um, I still have trouble uh, figuring that out because, um, you know, things happen in real time. We're like, oh, I need to touch this now or it needs like my attention now. And then you forget about your business. Um, I've been trying to build in um, sort of approaches that help mitigate that a bit, but it still happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's still sort of an ongoing learning curve, especially as you're scaling and growing, like it just looks different at that point too. So, um, but I, I, yeah, to your point, I think everybody, like you need to, you you have to, like it's always like, it's like that pay yourself first type of Mm -hmm. mentality where you have to invest a certain amount of time into your business Mm -hmm. because even if client stuff is blowing up. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also important to know your business before you outsource it all, right? Totally. I I think it's important to be in the work and to um, learn how to do things and to spend time figuring out processes and systems before you hand it off to someone else. Totally. So Yeah. yeah, good point. So at some point, I'm sure you've thought, I can no longer manage this workload myself. And I know now you do work with a team of people. So could you kind of talk us through how that very first support person or team member came into your business? How did you know you were ready to hire someone? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I lose sleep over this sometimes because (laughs) it's, um, it's hard. 
it's hard to know. And I, the company incorporated this year, um, so things really looked started to look much different this year. Um, and it is funny because I'm a maker leader. Not saying that I have to do everything, but I'm definitely of the maker leader space where. Um, I do have a design background and I do have a digital background. And um, when it comes to creative direction, like I want to be involved in like what, because we're doing a lot of um, custom, custom builds. So it's not like you're not designing a product line and then sort of like people can take it. So it's, it is hard to offload stuff and to, um, and to hand off stuff. Uh, there's just a bit of a weird thing there. Mm -hmm. I started bringing on people right away, but I worked in a bit of, and I, we still do, it's a film model, I call it. So we call it the decentralized film model, <laughs> um, where it's like you might work with people or have a certain team with you for a couple months, and then maybe you don't talk to certain people for a couple months. So right. I have a few key retainer uh, talent that works with me on a regular basis. Okay. Um, and there's two of them. Um, one is more focused on content and uh, client projects and um some of the business development stuff and then the other uh retainer talent is focused on social media marketing and more brand-based stuff and pr and outreach and stuff like that um i'm starting to get more help too with just sort of basic administrative stuff for the business um so i have you know i have an accountant that i've been working with but for me to have somebody with me that can i can offload a bunch of stuff that i don't really need to be doing and it's just starting to get a bit overwhelming um and then there's a, a whole talent team. So we work with, um, there's sort of four categories. So it's like content, design, creative, dev, media. Um, so there's about 15 to 20 people that we'll work with on a rolling basis, depending on the projects. And we kind of build our teams modularly like we do our products. So sometimes we won't need media on a project. So um, we won't book people for that. Um, so that's sort of where the film model comes in. And I still think that model works for us because... Each project is a different sort of modular build, so we don't always need the same designer, or we don't always need development, or we don't always need media. Or, um, but it's interesting to think about it for the future because you do want to, um, you know, the the film industry is a bit of a like I look at that as sort of a motivation or sort of a, an example of how to because the thing I like about the film industry is, you know, producers, directors, like certain people work together. And even if they're on different projects, then maybe they, they won't be on one project together. But there's a bit of a way where you have continuity with people. So I'm trying to build that in, um, in the way that we work too, without, um, you know, without necessarily being tied to to mm -hmm. a certain designer, but still have that continuity with people, um, critical, like key creative people that need to mm -hmm. maybe know more about your business or know more about your products or the way you work so that it's just more, it's easier to like dive in to a project mm -hmm. and... So would you say that team of 15 to 20 people that you're talking about, are they freelancers? Yeah, a lot yeah. of them would be freelancers. Um, some of them have day jobs and they freelance, like, they also sort of like freelance themselves um, in their free time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of them are freelancers, like proper, where they just, that's what they're doing. Yeah, Full-time freelancer. Exactly. I love to hear that because I started my freelance career like four years ago when I found myself out of full-time work. Yeah. And I love encouraging people to take on freelance projects because I feel like number one, that is a little bit the way that the world is moving, right? Totally, with all yeah. these websites like Upwork and Fiverr and even companies now, they don't want a full-time social media person when they're in their small or to infancy stage, but they do want a freelancer. Totally, and it's yeah. an amazing opportunity to 
um, yeah, either to refocus and what you want out of life or to build that into your own little agency or, or something like yourself into a team of people. Totally. It's just an incredible opportunity if you feel like that's aligned for you. So totally. And it. I also like how for me, cause sometimes, sometimes people say, Oh, you know, um, like it's also nice because people will work on um, like maybe I'll be their main they'll, they'll do a bunch of projects with Digital 55 but then they might work with somebody else on another project and they're bringing like they're getting different things from that other project you know that they then bring back to the next project they work with Digital 55 so I feel like in terms of free thinking and bringing innovation I feel like that model also works for that because um, people are not stagnating or just getting into a pattern of like this is how we do it so we just do it this way all the time you know mm-hmm. I feel like um, being sort of agile like that or um, involved in different projects also helps innovation for bringing back innovation to the company as well. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, you act as the chief creative officer, so the CCO. Yeah. Um, what does that entail for you? Like, what is a day to day of your life right now in running this business? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, right now, it uh, we're in a scale and growth phase, so everything has felt, uh, we've been saying that it's sort of like we're like teenager, business teenagers, because you're in that awkward phase where you're growing, but it's all messy. and Going like through puberty. <laughs> yeah, and you're like emotional about everything. And you know, yeah. it's, um, so my, the things that I've had to, the way I've had to work has totally changed as well in the past couple months. Um, a year ago, obviously, like I creative direct on all the projects. I do a lot of the client uh, business development and client relationships, um, looking for innovations and looking for projects because we're starting to do a lot of um, activations that we're doing. So we received some like grant funding recently. Um, So sort of the strategy too. I worked with uh, advisors from BDC to put together strategies. So innovation is one of our verticals that we're working in this year that was different from last year. Um, So yeah, my focus, strategy, um, sort of client and business development, and then creative direction across um, anything that we're doing. And obviously, you know, I have to keep shifting and iterating that model because there is some stuff that just, um, you know, takes over. And those are my three focuses. So I, I find that uh, in terms of the things that I need to be super accountable for, um, for the business to keep going and to keep, um, you know, to keep cash flow to keep the cash flow, to keep the creative, to keep the scale and growth thing happening, to keep the team, you know, incubated, then those are the three things that I mm-hmm. try to focus on as priorities. So you say say you're in a scale and growth phase, and I think that's so exciting, but it also even feels like overwhelming to me. I'm like, wow, that's like a it's big <laughs> ordeal. <laughs> First of all, how how have you learned about this whole business journey? Because obviously you've never scaled and grown a company mm-hmm. to this potential before. So like, do you work with mentors? Did you hire people to help you? Or have you just been doing a lot of reading of how companies scale and grow? How's this process going for you? Um, yeah. And it's so, it is messy. I've been learning as, like, you do have to learn in real time because, you know, I started a couple companies, um, like the record label, and um, I had another, like, product line company, but they were all, you know, it was just the startup that I went through in terms of, like, those um, ventures. And so what's happening now is something that I have not been through before. Um, I guess I do pull, yeah, definitely reading and just, keeping yourself knowledgeable about what's happening um, and then also curating that for yourself because you're going to approach something differently than someone else would. Um, I did an advisory program where I worked with an advisory um, individual that went through, we were together for three months and sort of broke apart the business and built it back up again. So I think I'll keep doing that too. I know that there's um, 
like that would be an ongoing thing that I would integrate just because you lose sight of what's happening if you don't do that. And when things are, you know, you're bringing on new people, project, you're getting more projects and all of a sudden like you can't think straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think having strategy and having um, almost somebody outside of your company be able to give you that objective perspective and just a little bit of a different voice that you can reflect what you're thinking um, and someone that maybe works in that they've seen businesses go through scale and growth so that they know mm-hmm. the pitfalls that most businesses should be aware of somebody that has that view of like these are the things you should just have on your radar um, mm-hmm. and it might not be pertain like it might not apply to you in your business but um, someone that has that knowledge because I, I don't have it and every business is different but you know I think building in support that um, is expert um, in those spaces that mm-hmm. you can't, you would never really be able to fill because you wouldn't never have that objective perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And even for myself, sometimes when I'm feeling stuck and how do I grow my business to the next level, I realize, well, I've never done this before. So why don't I go hire someone who clearly has walked this path It's amazing how quickly you can download their knowledge. And if they have outside perspective on what you're doing and what you're not seeing, it's always worth its weight in gold to seek external help. So I love that you mentioned that. How did you find this person who was an advisor to you? So I got lucky, not lucky, but I made some moves. <laughs> so I had gone to BDC. Um, what is BDC? So BDC is the Business Development Bank of Canada, and they're focused on helping support entrepreneurs oh, cool. um, oh, okay. and, and small businesses. So their mandate and their their mandate is very aligned to um what that's why I was like I want to if I can get money uh, or get my first sort of scale and growth loan from them um that was great because of their mandate Um, but they also provide other services so I did sort of set up a package where they um were able to provide some scale and growth funding um just to manage sort of um those activities and then also um I did advisory services with them so I was with an advisor for three months and she knew about the industry and so we went through a whole bunch of activities um, for strategy and setting up um, some short-term goals for this year, but then also like a couple years down the road. And we've been able to make some of those things happen, which has also <laughs> been a problem because then you're like, okay, we got we got this funding from like, we got this like innovation <laughs> funding and we got this like government funding to go global. And then like we got this like big new project from this client. And like all of a sudden you're like, these are good problems to have, but they are <laughs> yeah, a problem because then you have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the overwhelm level just yeah, skyrocketed. Just went up a bit, because but that was because we went through advisory services and we identified these things and then, and then they started happening. So now, you know, it's like the next stage of managing that. That's so cool. It's so inspiring. Do you have, uh, or through your strategy sessions, did you create like a five-year or a 10-year plan? Or do you more think like day-to-day, don't worry about the future? No, I, we did create, I don't know if it was a five-year plan, but it was, we did um sort of like a six-month plan for action items. Um, but then it was definitely like a one or two-year plan um, of things that need to happen so that we're scaling and changing the way that we want to. Um, and I think that's really important. I get... Sometimes I don't get as bogged down in the day-to-day as I probably need to be, um, but I think you need both, right? I think um, I think having a plan, and know, but also being flexible, knowing that that plan might change. But mm-hmm. as long as like you sort of have it, then you know what you're working towards, and you also know what you need to be doing, um, like where you need to be investing and maybe bringing on someone to help you um, write some grants or whatever it is that you've identified. Um, without seeing that longer vision, I don't know how the short vision, like I don't know how you would, you know. Like, I feel like you need both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely big on goal setting and stuff like that. So I do it for myself and then I do it for the company. <laughs> How often? Um, 
I do it. I mean, I do it once a year, I would say, for myself. Um, the company, it seems like it's a twice a year thing where there's sort of... Um, and, you know, we're in our second year of uh, full-time operations, so I don't really have a, a magic formula for that yet, but I, I think I'm going to move into like a twice a year type awesome. model for that. Yeah. So with so many moving parts to your business right now and such an exciting phase that you're in, how are you staying organized? Like, do you have any <laughs> tips or rituals or tools that you could share with us? Yeah, totally. I mean, I use a lot of creative tools just because uh, that's the space that we're in. So like Envision is super important on the project level or on the creative level to just concept and then share and just get aligned with stuff. So like I depend on Envision for a lot of things. I live by my calendar. I'm trying to optimize it. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I feel like I'm now that person, like the broken record where I'm like, let me check my calendar <laughs> or if it's not on my calendar, then it's not going to happen. Or like, you know, book three weeks in advance and some of my friends sort of groan at me, but it's true. <laughs> it's, the truth. Yeah. it's like my reality right now. Yeah. So <laughs> Exactly. Like I will show up, but you need to book some time in because yeah. otherwise I won't see you for mm -hmm. a couple months. Um, what other tools have I been? Obviously like the Google, um, just the whole Google suite has been really helpful for the yeah. business in terms of just asset management and, um, collaboration and sharing um so that's pretty critical for us um and then i know that there's stuff i don't really use uh, them as much but i for a while i was a big fan of trello um yeah. as sort of like organizing um mm -hmm. i probably maybe need to get back on trello because i find that i just use like my notes on my macbook for yeah doing that sort of thing now but it's not as efficient or I, I i've just sometimes you lose sight you make a note or and then it gets to the bottom of your note and then you forget about it um yeah yeah, it's funny. I'm like, I use my desktop notes. I have paper and pen notes all the time. Yes. And I use Asana for notes. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I've really Which got notes? this note thing out of control now. Like, I yeah. thought I was using Asana to simplify everything. But yep. nothing can replace the paper and pen note, in my opinion. I live there, too. I love writing out a good note and yeah. doing some like free thinking and then like checking it off if it's like a checkoff thing. It feels really good to do that analog. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely does. So because you're focused on growing the business and really optimizing your time and everything that's going on, mm -hmm. I just want to know, do you ever miss being like the creator and the person who's like actually doing the work for your clients on these projects? I don't right now because I still find myself in that, even though I should not be, oh. like I need to, <laughs> but it's just happened where like I end up touching a lot of the products still that's and awesome, a lot of though. the creative and because of the way I've set up the business to... Um, be sort of the creative director where I might not be doing the production and I have to also I do have to trust people I have to sort of set the creative direction and then be really trusting in terms of letting that go and someone might change it a bit and I have to be okay with that that's still hard for me because mm -hmm. <laughs> I uh I always have such a clear vision and you know uh, but designers or dev developers work differently and so it's going to look different from yeah and I have to um just like lean into that um and I'm st I still have you know, I, I'm still working on that. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the most challenging things for an entrepreneur is to make your business more than just you because yes. bringing on people and getting them into your vision means that you no longer have 
100% control over the output because you're trusting in other people to understand your company's mission and vision and to also be creative and do their best work. And so I think it's really hard to pull yourself away from having um, total control over every single task in the business. Um, How have you been able or are you able to find balance as a passionate entrepreneur? I can tell that you love what you do and you're creating something that's bigger than yourself. Um, Is there balance? and how have you been able to find it? There's not really balance, but I have found something that has helped me a lot. And um, people laugh at me, like Kyla will know about this because I talk about this on and on (laughs) to her uh, and has made it into some of our blogs and some of our social and marketing content. But when I started the business, I guess about six months after I started the business full time, I ended up taking up boxing as um, a practice. (laughs) (laughs) And so that has been almost life changing for me um, because things got really stressful and like the risks go up, the accountabilities and liabilities go up things get really serious when you're like you have to pay people you have to your client has a page you you know you're growing you have an office you have whatever um you know the stress levels are are real in terms of what you're managing um so I started boxing a because it's just the best workout ever but b because it's my it's really just like very sort of physical time um, where I, I kind of get out of my mind for a bit. Um, it's very cathartic because punching the bag is like really fun. <laughs> like if you're having a stressful day, that really helps out. But even the ritual of like putting on your wraps and just going, it's mm-hmm. less about the exercise and more about just building that in as something that's more of a ritual for you. Um, and like being really, like I'll tell people, I won't see you, like if it's, I'll see you after boxing, but I will rarely give up my boxing time. And that's been I have to kind of enforce it because everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, you can just like skip this one class. But it's not about that. It's about that pattern and that ritual that really like keeps me grounded and keeps me sort of calm. So that's how I've been able to bake in a little bit of balance. Mm-hmm. I love that. I took up boxing last year when okay. I was going oh, through amazing. a stressful time as well. <laughs> and I continue to go and everything you said just resonated with me because that ritual of punching the bag, like I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about what my clients or my students need. I'm like fully present just working on the combos and it's so good and it kicks my ass. So where do you go? (laughs) I go to the, uh, the Bloor Street Boxing Club. Oh, you do, which is right around the the corner from here. Amazing. I've never done a class there, but it'd be so much closer for me to go there. (laughs) It's it's so good. I love it. Such a good ritual. I'm wondering, is there a business person or a brand that you look up to at this point? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. I When people ask me, like when I have to think about this question, I always end up gravitating towards like a bit of a weird answer. <laughs> and my influences in terms of like business or um, creating experiences, um, like I look more towards like film directors for that. Yeah. And it's weird because it's not, it's sort of like an intersected space, but um, like someone like Tarantino where I'm like, I don't know, he's able to like these huge productions, but also like the vision and the integrity is there. And then also like the innovation of like playing around with like different film formats. And I just really like that approach. And also I liked sort of that production type mentality where like you're immersive for a couple months and then you're onto like something new. So I really sometimes turn to film directors as uh, inspiration in terms of, um, you know, business, but like creative, but tech, but you know, all those things. I think that's a really cool point too, to look outside of your own industry for inspiration, because sometimes if you look within 
exactly what you're doing. Like, for example, if you're a personal trainer and you're only looking at what other personal trainers are doing, you end up just copycatting what they're doing and trying to be better um, rather than seeking inspiration from an outside force where you can say, wow, I love how this industry operates. How can I pull that into my business? Exactly. So it sounds like that's kind of what you've done. And you've mentioned the film industry as an inspiration, you know, so yeah, totally. um, That's really great. Um, in wrapping this all up, um, what would you say is the best part about your job right now? I mean, it's so stressful right now. Um, and some days you wake up and you're like, Meh. <laughs> but I do really get up every day. Um, and I told, uh, I think I was telling a friend, like, it's not like the movie where you get up and you're like, yay, it's another day. But it's almost like that because I feel like we get to work on such important subject matters and we get to choose, um, you know, we've been working on content like climate change and, um, you know, um, intersectional issues and uh, social justice type uh, content and like healthy eating for like an early learning environments. And the purpose of what we're doing and how we're able to help companies and organizations um, really impact change in like their spaces um, is a big deal. And I feel like it's a big honor and responsibility. Um, we get to and the thing that's badass for me, I guess, is we get to um, intersect this totally creative sort of like rock star, like, oh, musician, like that total rebel creative perspective with like some very serious things and provide these amazing, um, um, these amazing opportunities for companies to, to push forward their objectives. And so that really keeps me going um, in terms of, and also the talent that I work with. Um, you know, I feel really honored to um, have people trust the company and have mm-hmm. people be really excited. And, you know, there's good, and people like at this stage, it's like, you know it's all messy it it is messy it's not people are not clocking out like doing nine to five like it's it's a bit different it looks different Mm -hmm. and the trust that I think my collaborators have with myself and the business is a big honor as well sometimes you forget about that but you think like Mm -hmm. these people are trusting me like that's crazy so I think it's the client the work and the subject matter um and then also the team and the collaborators Mm -hmm. um those things really keep me excited and pumped, especially through like the very stressful moments. I just keep kind of coming back to those things as grounding things for why we're doing what we're doing and why, like if you're in a stressful moment, just be like, it's okay because like this is the purpose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know it's so easy to get stuck in the weeds of your day to day and forget like why you're even doing this and like what the joy is. So it's definitely important to stop every once in a while and reflect on that. Yeah, totally. If you could offer any advice to someone who's looking to start a studio or an agency or a freelance business, like just one thing that pops into your mind, what would you tell them? I mean, I... I would say like just go for it um you know it doesn't have to be anything crazy like you could just start a site and just put your feelers out there to see if you can get a client Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't have to quit your job or do anything dramatic like if that doesn't feel comfortable um I think what we were saying um earlier is just like take that first step yeah um one of my favorite quotes I can't remember who it was by but it's you're always one decision away from like the rest of your life or something like that to that extent so like those decisions matter and you might think it's tiny or it's not going to matter, but even putting up the site or starting like an Instagram, mm-hmm. um, that could change your trajectory of what you're doing. So I always say like make that decision and then just like do it. Yeah. And I love that you say the word decision because I think a lot of people where they get hung up is they never make a decision. And yeah. I like this quote. I always say it's called or it says, you don't need more time. You just need to decide. And I think yes. that's where we get hung up is we're like, I don't know. Should I do it? Should I not? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you what? need to decide, commit. And if it flops, then that means that wasn't the idea for you. Now yeah. go with the next idea, but decide to do something. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
Um, so thank you so much for chatting today. I feel like there was probably a lot more we could have covered too, but maybe one day we can get you back on the show. Uh, where can people learn more about Digital 55, what you do and how they can work with you? Yeah, totally. Um, it's been such a pleasure uh, to be on, uh, to be with you and just have uh, have this chat. Um, so we have a website, uh, digital55studios.com and 55 is numerical. We're also on Insta and Facebook and LinkedIn and we do a lot of posting. Um, we love to post articles about stuff about AI and creative and business. So we're always love those conversation starters and love chatting about all that stuff. Um, so those are sort of the best ways to, to connect and reach out. Perfect. I will link all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So if you could help me out by rating and reviewing this show on your iTunes app, I would be so grateful. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories. Just make sure to tag me at Kelsey Riddle. If you're feeling stuck, uninspired, stagnant, bored, or confused in what your next step should be, it's time to take action. Please reach out because I would love to connect with you. I'll catch you in the next episode.